name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, let's open in our Bibles to Joshua chapter 3 and 4 this morning. Last, last Sunday, if you uh, participated in some way or you listened or you've read the chapters, what we, we found at the end of chapter two is that the two spies that went into the land, they came, they came back to Joshua and they said to him, listen, God has given us the land. And the reason they know that is because of the terror that's fallen on the people of Jericho because of them being on the other side of the river. So they come back with that that great announcement. Joshua chapter three and chapter four, what we're gonna be looking at this morning is the story of, of Joshua taking the people across the Jordan River and into the promised uh, and into the promised land. And they'd been at this spot exactly 40 years earlier. And though it was God's will for them to go in, though God wanted them to go in and take the land, they did not because the Bible tells us they were afraid. And even even though it was God's will, even though it was God's desire for them, they were afraid to do it. So this morning, 40 years later, or this moment, I should say, 40 years later, I think it makes two Two observations for us are two important points that I just want to draw out before we uh, before we actually get into the text. And the first one is this. These are two really important things, I think. Number one is just because something is the will of God doesn't mean that uh, it's going to happen. I hear people say this foolish thing. I think it's foolish. Please don't be offended. But I think it's foolish when people say, if God wants it to happen, it will happen. I don't believe that's true. Now, maybe at a macro level, that's true. The Bible says God sits in heaven and does whatever he wants. And so if there's anything that God wants to happen, it will happen. But to say that that everything that happens is exactly the way God wants it to happen is to deny, I think, a really big truth in Scripture. And that is our libertarian freedom. That is that we have a will that is not the same as God's. And we are able to do things. We are able to, we, we choose things that are not things that God would desire. And so there are things that God desires of us that will not come to pass and do not come to pass because we are unwilling to do them, because we refuse to do them. And all too often we refuse to do them because we are afraid, because we're afraid of the, maybe it's the cost that we're afraid of. We're, we're afraid that it's going to be too painful, or we're afraid that the loss we might experience in doing what God wants us to do is going to be too great. And so we're unwilling to do what God wants us to do. And some of you that are listening to me, uh, you know this because you failed. Because you failed in the past because you were afraid and there was something that God wanted you to do, but you were afraid and you didn't do it. And and that's haunted you ever since. And I think that this story illustrates that just because God desires something of us doesn't mean it's going to pass because there is a human responsibility in so many things that God asks of us. But the second truth that I want you to see at this time in the book of Joshua is that they are getting a second chance. They're getting the opportunity to do it again. 40 years earlier, they were on this bank and they were unwilling to do it because they were afraid. They were unwilling to cross over the Jordan and into the promised land. 40 years later now, they're getting a second chance. And if you have failed in the past, and I'm hoping there's gonna be one person that's gonna listen to this uh, who, who tells me this all the time, that because they failed in the past, there is no hope for the future. 
that it can't be fixed, that they, they've already blown it. And I want you to know that that is simply not true. And a truth of this moment for the Israelites is that uh, we, we never have a hopeless future in front of us. No matter how bad we have failed, no matter how bad I've messed up, there is always hope for the future for God to do great things in and through me if I'm willing to submit to him. Now, let's just talk about Bible protagonists. I mean, most of the Bible's heroes, most of those in the Scripture, they have a past like I'm talking about. And what I mean is they have a past where they have failed. And all too often they failed because of fear. Take Peter, for instance. Peter failed because he was afraid. He was afraid of what was going to happen to him, afraid of what the men might do to him, and so he denied the Lord. But he's not alone. Peter failed. Paul has failed, not, all, not necessarily always for fear, but Abraham has failed, Jacob, Moses, and, and the list is really just about everybody who made a difference for the Lord at some point in the future. They, they failed in the past, but they didn't quit, and they didn't give up, and God was able to use them in the future. I hear people tell me, hey, I, God can't use me. That's simply not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not the picture that God gives us in the Scripture. Here at this moment, 40 years later, those are two realities that you need to grab hold of. And one is that just because God wants you to do something doesn't mean it's going to happen because all too often we're afraid to do what God wants us to do. And the second thing is that when we have failed, it's not the end. It's not that we're rendered hopeless from this point on and God's never going to be able to use me. God's never going to be able to bring me back to that spot and do mighty things in and through me as I'm faithful to uh, to the Lord. So back to our story. They have a second chance and, and they're going to be faithful in the second chance. And as they are faithful to the Lord to cross over the Jordan into the promised land, I want to suggest to you that there's four steps that every one of us need to take as we step over our own fears that keep us from doing what God wants us to do. I mean, if they could go back 40 years, if they could apply these four steps 40 years earlier if they had been willing, but they were unwilling. I want you to see the four steps that I think they're going to take, and I want you to apply them to your life, because every one of us is being asked of God to do things that are that we're uncomfortable with, that we're afraid of, that it's like crossing the Jordan River for us and the unknown on the other side, how hard it's going to be. What's going to be the cost if I do what God wants me to do? And we're unwilling to do it because of those fears. So here's four steps that they took this time in being successful to God, and I want to suggest them to you, and I want to us to apply them to our life. So let's. here they go. Here's the first one. I'm not reading the text. Hopefully you've read it. If you haven't, go back and read it later on, Joshua chapter 3 and 4. But here's the first step. If we're going to step over the fears of our lives, if we're going to step over the Jordan rivers that God places in front of us, we have to begin with a step of dependence upon God. And what I mean there is that we have to come to a place that we realize what God is asking me to do, what God is asking you to do, so often you can't do it unless God helps you do it. In fact, I think you ought to realize that just about everything that we do that God's asking us to do, it, it's stuff we don't do in the arm of, uh, in the arm of our own strength. We, it takes the Lord to do that. And when you're afraid, can I just say this? Use a fear as a marker. When you're afraid, it's because you know, I can't do this on my own. I need God to help me. So in chapter 3, verse 1, Joshua starts early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. And they went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. And we'll learn in the text that they'll stay there beside the Jordan for four days. 
And, uh, and while they're there at the Jordan, they're going to learn what an impossible task it's going to be to get these hundreds of thousands of people across the Jordan River. If you look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Now the Jordan overflowed its banks throughout the harvest season. So not only do they have the Jordan River to tra- transverse, but they've got to go across it when the Jordan is overflowing its, its boundaries. So it's not just deep and wide. It's deeper and it's wider and it's flowing faster because there's so much more water in the Jordan River at this point. Why did God take them? Here's a, here's a question. It's not a rhetorical question. Think about it in your mind. Why do you think God took them to the edge of the Jordan and then had them camp out there for four days? Why not just take them from the Acacia Grove or Shittim, as it says in some of your texts? Why doesn't he just take them from there and just march them across the river so they don't have any time to think about it? I think he took them to the edge of the Jordan for the very purpose of helping them recognize that they could not do this unless God helped them do it. So he took them to the edge of the Jordan to, uh, maybe if you would, to augment their fears, but he took them to the Jordan to help them recognize that they were not crossing this river unless God helped them with it. And they needed to recognize that they had to be dependent on him. Now, the first step that all of us have when God puts something in front of us and you have that, boy, you have that tugging at your heart that God wants you to do this or God wants you to do that or God wants you to go here or go there or whatever it might be. When you have that tugging and, and you've got that fear, what God's trying to get you to get you to a place of is a place of dependence on him, a place where you actually trust him to help you get across the river. If we're ever going to do that, we need to become dependent on him. Now, the second step, or excuse me, let me say this before I go on. It's easy to trust God for eternal life. It's quite another thing to trust God for the here and now. I want to say that again. It's really easy to trust God for eternal life, right? Because when we die, there's nothing I can do about it. It's, I, I, either, I either have it or I don't. I believe I do, so I have trusting. You know, I, There's nothing I can do to really affect that I'm going to die, so I'm trusting God for eternal life. But trusting God today where my decisions and things that I do put me in harm's way or they become difficult, it's harder to trust God for that sort of thing in the here and now than it is for us to trust God that he's got us for eternity. We're afraid because when we step out in faith, we may fail. We may get embarrassed. But I think the real reason we're afraid is because we recognize that the cost may be great in following the Lord, and we don't really want to pay that cost because it's painful, and I'm afraid of pain. I don't want to be pain. I don't want to have pain, or I don't want to have loss. I might have to, I might have to say goodbye to my friends. I might have to leave the family I love. I might have to do something that really cost me, and, and so we don't want to do that. We have to depend on God in those moments. This past Sunday, uh, I watched the movie uh, Just Mercy, and if you, if you follow me on Facebook, then you know I was talking about this, but it's the story of uh, Brian Stevenson and his move to Alabama to defend uh, folks in poverty. And, uh, and anyway, Brian Stevenson also then spoke at Redeemer Church, where Tim Keller is the pastor, and this was four years ago, and I listened to the talk. And, uh, and I'm telling you, I was, uh, I was so moved by what I heard. There was four things that Brian said, and I'm not going to tell you all four. I'd encourage you to go listen to the talk, watch the movie first. But, um, 
In one of the things that he said in the talk, he said, if you want to do justice, Micah 6.8, right? Remember, we talked about that last week. Do justice, uh, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, right? And he said, if you want to do justice, he said, you've got to get proximate to injustice. I mean, think about that for a minute. If you want to do justice, if you're always in, in the circles of justice, then you're not even going to know what injustice looks like. In fact, as I listened, as I watched the movie, I, I didn't even know such injustices were happening in my lifetime. But they were, and they are. I guess I'm assuming they are. But if we, if we don't get near injustice, we can't do anything about it. Now, here's, here's my point in telling you this story, is that I was so greatly convicted that, God, I want to do justice. And so I've got to find a way to get proximate to justice, and I don't, uh, to injustice, and I don't know what that means. I don't even know what it looks like. And to be quite honest with you, it's a bit scary thinking about trying to get near injustice. And so I've had to actually step back and say, Lord, you know, I'm a little bit fearful of this, but I'm going to depend on you to lead me. I'm going to depend on you to help me grow in this area, Lord, because I want to do what Micah 6.8 says. I want to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. So there's, there's all kinds of things that God wants us to do that cause butterflies in our, in our heart because we're afraid or we don't know how or what might this be in the future? How might this cost me? Man, that's where we have to depend on the Lord. Now, here's the second step. The second step is a step of consecration to God. So if you look at chapter 3, verse 5, Joshua told the people, he said, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. So as they get ready to cross the Jordan, Joshua sent, Joshua sent men out throughout the, throughout the people, and he's telling them, tomorrow's the day. Okay, so get ready. Consecrate yourself. Consecrate means to set yourself apart. It basically means to prepare yourself. And so he's saying to them, hey, everybody, prepare yourself for tomorrow. Set yourself apart for tomorrow because tomorrow we're going to see God do great things. Now, part of their consecration was that they had to stay a half a mile from the Ark of the Covenant. But also, I think, even though it doesn't say this, I would suggest and incur, I mean, I would, I would believe that that consecration meant that they were to do the things in, in worship, the cleansings of worship that the first covenant required of them. It was those sort of things, I'm sure, that... Uh, that God was asking them to do to get ready for, for tomorrow. They were to prepare themselves. They were to set themselves apart. Now, here's the point that I think you and I can apply to this. When God is calling you to something, you need to consecrate yourself to that thing. You need to set yourself apart for that thing. You need to prepare yourself for that thing. When I began to sense that God was calling me into vocational ministry, I, I set myself apart to that thing. I, I began to prepare myself for that. I remember I asked my pastor to disciple me in, uh, in, in how to be a pastor. He didn't really know how to do that, but, but he helped me the best he could. But I also decided I needed theological education if I was going to be in vocational ministry. So I set myself to that end. I set to prepare myself for that, to study, to, to get ready to be a vocational pastor one day. Whatever God's called you to do, and it can be something that's really life-consuming, like, uh, like John and Rachel, you know, planning one day, hopefully, to invest their lives overseas. So, you know, that, that's, that's kind of all-consuming. That, that might take a lot of preparation to that end. And you're saying, well, I can't relate to that because God's not called me to do anything like that. And that's true. 
But God calls us to do all kinds of things. God, hopefully what you're doing in ministry, whether it's within the, within the walls of our church family, if you would, although we're out here with no walls, if it's in the walls of our church family or whether it's in, uh, in the greater church outside of Bacon's Castle and it's Surrey or Isla White County or wherever you're ministering or working, hopefully you felt called to that. And what I mean, and I'm not trying to be mystical. I'm just saying, hopefully you've got a sense. God wants, God's want, God wants me to do this. God has asked me to do this. I'm doing this because, you know, God wants me to do this. And there's a, there's a lot of things that I think God wants us to do that we're unwilling to do because the cost is too great. We, we don't, we're, and, and, and again, and when I say the cost, what I mean is we're afraid. We're afraid, and I don't mean that we're terrorized, and I'm trying to use afraid or scared in the sense of I don't want to, I don't want to give that cost that it might cost me if I do this thing that God wants me to do. But before I move on to the next point, let me just give you two ways that I think whatever it is that God's called you to, that you need to consecrate yourself. So even if it's being, uh, you know, a, a teacher in our children's department in our Sunday school, when we get to go back to that and we're training our children, and you're a teacher in, in children's Sunday school, or you're a helper in, in children's church, I'm trying to think, think thinks of things that we would think were just not all that scary or whatever. You need to set yourself apart for those ministries. You need to consecrate yourself. And here are two suggestions that I would give you new covenant-wise that would be what God would desire of all of us in setting ourselves apart. Here's the first one. I would say set yourself apart in prayer. And again, I'm not talking about just, I'm talking about you praying and talking to God about this thing that God's called you to, and you tell him about how you're going to give it your very best. You tell him how you're afraid about the cost, or you tell him how you're afraid because you don't really know what to do. You talk to God, and you set yourself apart by prayer for this thing that God is asking of you. Pray about it. And, and, and I'm not saying pray, but I'm talking about if you've decided God wants you to do this, Talk to him about it. Set yourself apart so that you and him are on the same wavelength and the same page about this thing that God wants you to do. And the other thing I would say as far as setting yourself apart is set yourself apart in confession and repentance. And I, by this I mean to God. I mean, if God is asking you to do something and, and listen, and you're not owning your own sin and you're not dealing with sin in your own lives, I mean, you can't you really can't be as effective as you want to be or need to be until you deal with that. I think Joshua had some of that in mind when he said to the Jewish people that day, set yourself apart, consecrate yourself for tomorrow we're going across the river. In other words, deal with sin in your life. And so, you know, when God's asking you to do something and you are depending on him and you are, you are saying, yes, Lord, I get it. You want me to do this. I'm depending on you. And then you're setting yourself apart. Set yourself apart by dealing with, examine your life and confess your sins to God if you need to and repent from those sins. Turn from those things. And, and, and again, this is where the prayer part comes in. So prayer and confession, I mean, they're, they're kind of one. Maybe this is all rolled into one big jelly bean, right? But you just, you just... You talk to God and you confess your sins and you turn from your sins. You turn from your sins. Remember, remember in, I think it's in the book of Hebrews. I didn't look it up, but it came to mind this morning and it's coming to mind again now. Remember where, I think it's Hebrews chapter 4, chapter 12, where it says, setting aside the sin that so easily entangles us, 
Let us run the race that is set before us with endurance. Y'all remember that verse? I think that's what I'm trying to say here. This is what's setting yourself apart for the thing that God desires of you. Don't be entangled in sin so that you can run this, this thing that God desires of you. You can run it with all your heart, and you can run it with speed, and you can run it with agility because you're not being entangled by your sin. You've dealt with that, and you've put it behind you, and you've confessed your sin. Now, the third step, the third step would be a step of obedience, okay? So we've got this the step of depending on God, and, uh, and then this step of preparation or the step of consecrating myself to the Lord. The third step, then, is for me to do what God has called me to do. So many of us, and you may be guilty of this because I know I'm like this, you equate willingness with obedience. You're willing to do whatever but you're not, necessarily, you're not necessarily doing it. You say, I'm willing to do it, Lord, if you want me. And that's really, but we're not really dealing with the fact that in our heart, we know that God is wanting me to do whatever it is, whatever ministry, whatever service, whatever teaching, whatever, whatever it is that God wants me to do, whoever he wants me to talk to, wherever he wants me to go. We're not willing to do it. I mean, we say we're willing, but we don't do it. And somehow we say, as long as I'm willing, then that's the same. And it's not. Remember, Jesus told the story of the two sons. And one of them says to the dad when he asked him to go out in the field, he says, yeah, dad, I'm going to do it. And he never goes. And the other says, no, dad, I'm not doing that. But then he changes his mind and he goes. And then Jesus asked the question, and it's a question I'm asking you. Jesus asked, which of these two boys did the will of the father? Which are the two boys? And they answer, and you know the answer. It's not the one who said, I'm willing, but didn't. It's the one who said, I'm unwilling, but in the end was willing and did it. Here's the step that we need to have. We need to have the step of obedience in actually doing what God's told us and called us to do. So in the, in the text before us, chapter 3, verse 8, command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the water, stand in the Jordan. Verse 12, now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe, and when the feet of the priest who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of the whole earth, come to rest in the Jordan's waters, its waters will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand up in a mass. Joshua got everybody ready, and this is what he said to his, to his people. This is going back to verse 3. He says, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, you break camp and you follow it. In other words, you do, you obey when you see the Ark begin to move out. And he just got instructions about, about the Ark. There comes a time, listen, there comes a time, everyone, where, we, where, we've, where we've toyed with it, we've thought about it, we've prayed about it, and the only thing left is for us to do what God wants us to do. We've made ourselves certain that this is God's will, and it's not that I'm talking myself into something. We know it. This is what God desires of me. There comes a time when all that's left for us to do is move out and trust, depend on God, that it's going to be okay as I step into the Jordan River. So we get to verse 14. Look at verse 14. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant ahead of the people. Now the Jordan overflowed its banks throughout the harvest season. But as soon as the priests carried the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adon, a city next to Zarephthan. 
The water flowing downstream into the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, and the people crossed opposite Jericho, and the priests carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. When all that's left to do, guys, is obey, then we've got to obey. And so on that morning, when, when Josh, Joshua told the men it's time and they got the ark and they moved it, and this was time to obey. This was time to step out. And so this third step in, in, in doing the will of God, this third step in stepping over our fears, is we just have to do it when the time comes. Now, one riveting aspect of their obedience, for me anyway, did you notice this? That they have to actually step in the water before the water stops flowing. You might say that's insignificant. Maybe it is because maybe they didn't go in very deep, but they had to actually get in the water before the water stopped flowing. Now, here's my point. So often, everyone, you're you're not going to stop being afraid until you actually obey and step out and do what it is that God wants you to do. You have to step out into the waters even when you're not seeing God do what you might be, maybe want him to do. Maybe you're saying, God, well, I'll do this if you do that. And, and God says, no, I'm not doing that until you do this, right? Until you step into the water. And so, hey, everyone, this third step of stepping over our fears is there comes a time when you just have to, you have to do what God wants you to do. And here's where that faith thing comes in, that pesky little word faith. And faith is, remember, believing something to be absolutely true with great conviction and assurance, even when you can't see it. Even when you see no miracle, and even when you see the rushing waters of the Jordan River, the priest had to step into the water. And I, I grant you that it didn't take long once they stepped in the water for the waters to be piled up and for everybody to have this, this great assurance of God's work, right? But they had to step into the water first. And I'm saying to all of you, man, obedience to God so often demands that you step out and step into the river before you see God do anything. You trust God that he's going to be with you, that he's going to walk with you, he's going to carry you, he's going to lead you, he's going to use you in this thing that he's asked you to do. I read this week of a Nigerian bishop who uh, was describing the slaughter of pastors serving under him. Um, in the Islamic, by the Islamic militants um, and the decimation of these congregations in northern Nigeria. And after doing that, he then told everyone that he had sent his son. He posted his own son to go back up there to this area to be a pastor to replace the pastors that had been killed by, uh, by the militants. And people were shocked. And they said, how, how can you do that? Why are you sending your own son to do such a thing? And this is what he replied. And he said, why would I send someone else's son if I am not willing to send my own son? That humbles me. You say, what does that illustration have to do with anything? That illustration has to do with, I guarantee you, when that man sent his son up there to northern Nigeria to replace the pastors who'd been murdered, I guarantee you he's filled with fear, but he's stepping out and he's acting in obedience with not necessarily seeing or knowing what miracle God's going to do to protect his son or even if God will protect his son from murder. But that's not as far, that's, you know, that's not the only place that fear gets involved that I think we can relate to. So, um, so did you notice this? So it says once they, uh, once they got in the water, so the priests, they made it halfway across and they stood. And most likely this is to let all the people at the rear feel safe, right? Because the ark is in the middle uh, of the river. 
But can you imagine how scary it was, not just at the beginning, but now the water is piled up. It's piled up to their, to their right, I'm assuming. It's piled up to their right, and they're, and they're having to cross the Jordan River with this water-defying gravity piling up and backing up as far as these two cities. Now, people have tried to say that this is not a supernatural miracle. I mean, it is a miracle. God, God at the right timing, would uh, you know, cause the River Jordan to be dammed up further up north, and so you know, they would be able to walk. The timing was perfect, so it's definitely God, but it's not a supernatural miracle. You know, my thought is that this is a supernatural miracle by the way it's disp- described, right? The water stood up to the right, amassed itself on the right. I mean, I, I, granted, God can do whatever he wants, and the Jordan has dammed itself up in the past, all right? There have been line, landslides that have dammed the Jordan up for a season. But in this particular case, I think this is a miracle, and they're, a supernatural miracle. And they're walking, and they're walking across, and the water's piled up. Can you imagine how scary that would be? Is the water going to hold? When is it going to, is it going to let go before I get across the sea? Remember, it came back on the Egypt and the Egyptians 40 years earlier. Is God going to hold it? Is it going? I mean, it would have been scary all throughout. And here's what I want to say to you about that. Sometimes obeying God just isn't scary at the beginning. It's scary throughout the whole time you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. But you can trust God and you can walk out in obedience knowing this, that God is not going to leave you. He's not going to desert you. He's not going to forsake you. He's going to help you. He's going to be there with you. And, and you can say to your fear, no fear, God is, God is with me. I, um, I remember, with the, and I've told you the story. That's, I guess that's the part, problem of being here so long. You've heard all my stories. But the first time I ever preached, I was so afraid. I was so afraid, and, and I, I was up most of the night. I have absolutely no recollection of what I said or how the morning went, but I do remember the night before. I mean, I remember it so vividly even to this day. I was so afraid of preaching the next day uh, to this group of campers. It was like this. They're going to be sitting in chairs like you guys are uh, today. And, and there was probably maybe 15 to 20 of them, but I was so afraid I didn't sleep most of the night. But in the morning, you know what I did? I felt like quitting. I really did. I felt like quitting. But I didn't. I just did what I was supposed to do, and I stepped out over my fear. And you know what? It was okay. Nobody killed me. I didn't die. You know, and, and, and it was okay. And I, I don't even think I was embarrassed. I've seen pictures of that day, and I'm embarrassed by my hair, and I'm embarrassed by the clothes I wore, but I'm not all that embarrassed uh, by, by what I said. And you know what? There's never a time that I don't get up to speak that uh, I don't have still butterflies in my stomach, even speaking in front of you all. Every, every Sunday, there's a few butterflies. Now, granted, they're not nearly like it was, you know, 40 years ago when I was first starting. But if I go somewhere else and I don't know the people, I'm going to be full of butterflies. I'm still going to have to step over my fears, even to this day, to be faithful to what God desires of me. And you need to do the same. Step out over your fears in obedience. And guess what I'm trying to say is even when you're still afraid, do what God wants you to do. And here we are at the last step. I'm sorry, I dragged that one on maybe too long. Depend, here, here, here they are. Depend on the Lord. Consecrate yourself. Step out in obedience. And here's the third, a fourth step. And it's a step of remembrance about God. So as they crossed the Jordan River, God said to them, he said, verse 2, choose 12 men from yourself, one from every tribe, 
and command them, take 12 stones from the place of the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing and carry them with you and set them down at the place where you are to spend the night. The first thing that uh, they were to do as they as they crossed over the Jordan River, is that they were to grab 12 stones out of the center of the river, and when they got on the other side and they made camp, they were to set up those 12 stones as a remembrance. And uh, they were to remember what God had done. So here's this fourth step in stepping over our fears. When, when we are afraid, and God, God has something in front of us that he wants us to do, and we're afraid, and we actually do these steps, and we depend on him, and we set ourselves apart, and then we do it, and we obey the Lord, even apart from our, even though we're afraid, we, we do it. When it's over, or when we're on the other side, we need to set up a remembrance of what God has done. You know why? So the next time God has a Jordan River for you to cross, you won't be nearly as afraid, because you will say, look what God did. Look what I, look what God did back over there at that other time. So that's what King David did. You remember he's going to go face Goliath, and he's talking to uh, Saul, and he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David remembered past victories where he probably was afraid you know, David doesn't seem to be afraid of anything, but I imagine he was afraid, but he remembered, hey, God delivered me from the bear. God delivered me from the lion, two things that would have been very scary. God is going to deliver me from this giant. He remembered the past. Here's my point. We need to set up remembrances of things that God has done when we're afraid and we're stepping out over our fears. We need to remember so that the next time we're not nearly as afraid when God is asking us to do something. Now you say, well, Jimmy, what kind of, what, what do I do? Get three stone, four, get some stones from the parking lot and set up a memorial? No, here's the, here's the memorial that I would suggest that you make. You get a notebook and you keep a journal of every time you've stepped out over fears in obedience to God and you write down what God has done. And then every time God has something new for you, every time God has something he wants you to do and you're afraid, you pull out your notebook and you read about how you were, write down your fears, talk about how you were, and then read how God gave you victory. Read how God met you where you were. Read how God used you to do great things because you were faithful. And, and, and so, you know, let me go back to my illustration about teaching kids. So, you know, you're teaching kids, you're scared to teach kids, you don't want to do it because you're afraid, but you do it, you do it, and then through the course of that year of teaching, man, you see some young child, the light bulb go off, and you see them really begin to follow Jesus, and you see their light transform, their life transform. You take out your journal, and you begin to write down the victory. You say, oh God, this is why you wanted me to do this, because I get to be involved in this awesome thing that I've seen happen. I see Micah shaking his head. He teaches young people. And I can't tell you how many times he's told me how rewarding it is for God to do this or that in the life of those young people and how it affects him personally. You write down this so you don't forget because you'll be like me. You're going to forget everything. And if you don't write it down, you won't remember. So write it down. That's your, I, I think that's the memorial that God would have us all write, I mean, all keep ourselves. 
the God who delivered me in the past is the God who used me in the past, and he's the God who walked with me in the past, and he's the God who's going to walk with me and use me in the future so, God, I can step over this river. So, brothers and sisters, this morning I'd like to ask you, and here, here it is, do you have any rivers before you that God is asking you to cross? And I know I'm using this narrative from history as a metaphor but it's a great metaphor for, for our lives. Do you have a river in front of you that is, is, is right there and you're afraid God's asking you to cross it and maybe it's spilling its banks and it's running and it's raging and it's scary to you? Do you have a river like that in front of you? Now, don't be offended by what I'm going to say next, but it's in my notes, so I'm going to say it. If you don't have a river like that in front of you, maybe you're not really following Jesus. You're going to say, whoa, Jimmy, that's too much. You shouldn't say something like that. Here's what I mean by that. You know, Jesus calls us to change the world. Jesus calls us to change culture. Jesus, Jesus calls us to, I mean, be influencers, to be salt and light. And if we're not living our lives in such a way that God's not putting Jordan rivers in front of us all the time to step over, to make a difference in the future, they're stepping over the Jordan River so that they can go to war and conquer the promised land. If you and I are not finding ourselves at rivers like that, then, then I might suggest we might be like the son who says he's willing but never does. We might be like the son who says, I'm willing, but we're not really willing. We don't really step over because there's never any rivers, there's never any Jordan rivers in front of us. Now, let me backpedal what I said a minute ago. If you don't have a Jordan River in front of you this very moment, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm simply saying that if there's never Jordan rivers in our lives, if there's never things to step over that are hard and scary that God wants me to do, then maybe we're really not listening to the Spirit and really not following, you know, the Spirit the way, the way we should. My challenge this morning, and I'm finished, my challenge this morning is when that river is in front of you, when that thing that God wants you to do is in front of you and you're scared and it's a big thing and it's beyond you, look to him and depend on him. And then once having looked to him and, and trusted in him for this thing, then I would say set yourself apart. Prepare yourself, whatever is needed. Prepare yourself for that thing. And then the third thing is step out and do the thing that God's calling you to do. And then once it's, once it's behind you or once you're in it, be, be set up the 12 stones of memory. Set, set up the 12 stones of victory to remind yourself of what God has done. And, and can I say this to our church family? It's not just me personally, but it's all of us together. Man, wouldn't you? I want God to lead our family to, to the Jordan River and ask us to cross over. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know what that is, but but we should be so consequential as a family together that we're constantly up against the river and God needs to take us over it. We need to trust him. We need to be listening to his spirit for the things that God wants us to do that means crossing, crossing something great in front of us. I hope you all are following my metaphor. Most of you know that Jackie Robinson was the first uh, black man to play baseball in the, in the major leagues. Um, what you may not know about Jackie was that he had anger issues. Uh, growing up, he had a reputation as a brawler. Uh, he, one of his favorite 
things where one of the things that people described him as he was ready to smash the teeth of any white man who insulted him. At UCLA, he gained a reputation as being a thug. But it was also at UCLA that uh, something happened to Jackie Robinson. He met the woman who had become his wife, who was a committed Christian, and he met a pastor by the name of Carl Downs. And Carl Downs was a hard-hitting preacher. His sermons taught Robinson that Christianity was not synonymous with cowardly or uh, racial inferiority or subordination. And Jackie Robinson began to follow Jesus. And by 1945, Jackie Robinson had this, this conviction in his heart that God wanted to use him in some great way. He wasn't sure what. I don't, I don't know why he had that conviction. Maybe it was because of his ball skills. But uh, anyway, he had this conviction that God had a great purpose for his life. And it was the next year that, that he felt like that purpose became clear. And uh, he was called uh, to the uh, Dodgers, to the Brooklyn Dodgers main office by, a, by the general manager named Branch Rickey. And Branch Rickey asked him if he would be willing to be the first African-American ball player to join the all-white major uh, league baseball. And, uh, and this is what he told Jackie at the time. He said, Jackie, you're going to face racial slurs and physical assaults and hotel clerks refusing your accommodations and on and on and it goes. And, and so Robinson looked at Ricky and this is what he said. To him. He said, are you looking for a Negro too scared to fight back? And uh, Ricky said these now famous words. He says, no, I'm looking for a ball player with guts enough not to fight back. Now, what's less known is that Ricky, that uh, Branch Ricky and Jackie Robinson were both committed Christians. And on that day, uh, Ricky gave Robinson this book by Giovanni Pompini called The Life of Christ. And what he said to Jackie, as you think about this, he said, remember what Jesus said. He says, resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And, uh, and they both shared this common faith. Eric Metaxas wrote about them. And here's what Eric Metaxas said about Robinson and, uh, and Ricky. He said, Robinson was a Christian, and his Christian faith was at the very center of his decision to accept Branch Ricky's invitation to play for an all-white Brooklyn Dodgers. Branch Ricky himself was a Bible-thumping Methodist. I love that. A Bible-thumping Methodist whose faith led him to find an African-American ball player to break the color barrier. So Ricky did what he did on purpose. At the center of this most important civil rights story in America lies two men of passionate Christian faith. I'm telling you the story because Jackie Robinson now is standing at the banks of his Jordan River. And I, I guarantee you there's fear in Jackie's heart. Now, I didn't read anywhere where he says there's, there's fear in his heart, but uh, I, I, there's got to have been fear, fear of the retaliation, but fear also, can I do this? Am I up to the task? Can I? Because remember, he, he, he's, he's a guy who's really for his rights and that sort of thing, never been afraid to fight for his rights. Can, can he do this? Can I, can I, Lord, can I do this? Can I walk into this and not retaliate? And you know, you know the story, right? In obedience, despite whatever fears he might have had, he consecrated himself. He consecrated himself to this to this call of God, and he stepped into the river and crossed the Jordan River, uh, his Jordan River in this particular case. And he was with the Dodgers for ten years, and during that ten years, he endured racial remarks, death threats, unfair calls by umpires, and the list goes on and on and on. But here's the deal. 
Jackie Robinson's faith, his dependence upon God, his willing to consecrate himself to the Lord, they were able to help him do what God had called him to do. And the ball players that knew him most said that every night he got on his knees and every night he prayed for self-control the next day. Through all his fears and frustrations, right, historian Jackson Lears, his Christianity sustained him. And, I, and I, I think Jackie would probably prefer me to say his Christ, his Savior, sustained him. It's time, beloved, it's time for us to be like the Israelites. And if fear is holding us back from stepping over any river that God has put in front of us, it's time for us to, it's time for us to consecrate ourselves, depend upon him, and step across the river. It's time for us to follow the Israelites. It's time for us to follow Jackie Robinson. It's time for us to follow our Savior who considered equality with God not anything to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on a tremendous mission of dying for us so that we could live. Let's pray. My request, Father, before you this morning is that every one of us here today and every one of us listening via the live stream, Lord, that every one of us would be willing to say, take us to the edge of the Jordan and we will take us through the Jordan. We will cross over. We will be faithful. Lord, I pray that every one of us would say to our fears, God, you are bigger than our fears and not allow our fears to stymie our obedience or stymie our faithfulness. And Lord, whether it's fears of loss or whether it's fears of pain or whether, you know, and, and what, however small or however big the fear is, God, I pray this morning that, uh, that we might take, uh, take this advice and apply these four steps to our fears. Use us, Lord, for the glory of God. Use us for the kingdom of God. I pray, God, that you will use me. I pray that you'll use every individual person sitting here or listening, Lord. I pray that you'll use us all individually. But, Lord, you know, in your, in your book, you're all about our corporate identity. In fact, Lord, you talk about our corporate identity in Christ more than, more than our individual identity. And so, Lord, I would pray that you would use us corporately together as a church to in uh, effect Isla White and Surrey County, where we live, and even the world, Lord, would you use us together to affect the world? Lord, lead, speak to different members of our family here with, with ideas and visions of how we can glorify Jesus and exalt the Lord Jesus and take the gospel to our neighbors and friends. Lord, help us not to be afraid to step out and do whatever it is that you're calling us to together corporately as a church family. God, use us for your glory and for your honor. May Christ be exalted in every one of us individually. And Lord, may you be exalted in us together as a family. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.